What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, welcome back. I'm your host, Ryan Rothstein, listening to The Fix here on AM 1490. Sports betting radio, the Phillies on April 1st with the big win. Only eight more months of the season, but nice start there for the Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Nola looking good. Uh, Nice walk-off win. Gene Segura hits in Bryce Harper to win the game in the bottom of the 10th. All right, let's switch over to the gridiron now and bring in our NFL Eagles insider, Johnny Mack. John McMullen joins us every uh, every night at 7.30 right here on The Fix. Follow John at jfmcmullen, phillyvoice.com, si.com, host of Extending the Play, 10 a.m. on Saturday right here on 1490 and Birds 365 starting this Monday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., Monday to Friday with John and Jody Mack, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. John, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you, Ryan? Doing well, doing well. Uh, did you catch any of the Phillies' uh, walk-off win this afternoon? I, I did not, but I, it, was that uh, second base rule in effect? <laughs> Boy, I can't get used to that. I cannot get used to that. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, it's a mess right now in baseball. But, hey, April 1st, good win, right? You know, we just have eight more months to go. That's true. Yeah. April Fool's Day, guys on second. I, I was following. I don't think it was the Phillies game. I, I think it was. I think it was the Yankees game, and you know they had a runner on second base. I'm like, oh, somebody must have left off with let off with the double. No, it's actually <laughs> put somebody in second base. I I I just I think that's hilarious. I yeah. think it's just such a horrible rule, but I, I don't know what baseball is trying to do. I really don't. Yeah, and from all the things that they could implement or change, that's that's what they're doing. <laughs> well, that's and you know why? That's just nobody can manufacture a run. It's home run or nothing. Right. And I and you know it's pretty easy to manufacture a run. You you shorten up the swing. You sacrifice. You play hit and run. You steal bases. But all that has been banned from baseball. So. Because you got to have that proper launch angle. Yep. I'm going off on the tangent. I'm off the rails early. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. It's opening day. We can go off the rails for a minute about baseball. But uh, we'll get it back to the to the Eagles. And plenty to get to uh, regarding the team, as always. But you wrote about some potential rule changes that are on the docket. It's NFL Draft Month. Um, but what are some of these potential rule changes and how they could – impact the Eagles and every other team in the NFL? Yeah, I don't think you're going to see a lot major uh, this year, uh, but the competition committee uh, basically recommended uh, four, four and just two sort of tweaks to other rules. And um, I, I think the most significant will be um, they're not going to have a sky judge. They're not going to have an ETH official, but I think they're going to pass uh, – uh, more communication uh, between the off-field uh, official and replay and the on-field officials. So instead of going to replay, in theory, you're going to have communications, and, and somebody could say, "Oh, you guys blew that," just over, you know, overturn it on the field. They can huddle up and do it that way. So 
I think it'll be better. I think it'll be make for a crisper and cleaner product. But, you know, the one negative thing is there's certainly no transparency. One thing I loved uh, about the XFL is they had the Sky Judge and, and they had the camera on him when he was doing his job. So everything was plainly transparent. You knew what he was thinking. You knew what he was communicating. Uh and that, to me, was was kind of brilliant, and the NFL wants no part of that. And I think that speaks volumes. I, I don't understand why transparent transparency should be a negative thing when it comes to officiating. Because the less transparent you are, the more conspiracy theories you have. And you know how fans get upset and think officials are against their team. They're not, but this doesn't help when you – keep things behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, why why are they so quick to shut it down? They just want to keep things behind the curtain? It's that simple? I mean, do they understand the perception? I mean, not that this is even going to be a huge story, and maybe that's why they don't even care. Well, I, I don't think it's – it's. yeah, I mean, I, I think from the league standpoint, uh, you know, they see there's no downtick in popularity, so they right. don't care. And they don't want to uh, invite people behind the curtain, so to speak, to see how the sausage is made. And so as a whole, it's not any big story or anything being driven, but it'll be a big story individually when there's a bad call in week three in in Dallas or, or week six in Los Angeles or week eight in Las Vegas, wherever, um, then it becomes a big deal, but they don't seem to be able to put two and two together. So they've always been really bad with unintended consequences. I, I think, you know, I remember asking Dave Fibb, uh, the former now Eagles special teams coordinator, about the XFL's um, kickoff rules. There's a lot more exciting than the NFL's kickoff. And they just want no part of it. Like if somebody else comes up with something that's good, whether it's college, the a, the old AAF now, the XFL, they just they they don't want they don't want to steal anything, so to speak, because they want to believe that they're the front runners and all that kind of thing. Whereas if you see a good idea, just use it. So what if somebody else came up with it? But that's not how this league works. No, it's not. And, you know, I remember asking you, I think it was on last night's show, if not the show prior, uh, about the virtual off season and what's going to change this season. And you wrote about this uh, on SI.com. The NFLPA is trying to say to the league, whoa, 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 let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. So fill us in. Just, just such, uh, it, 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 both sides are so disingenuous. It, it's so frustrating uh, because, you know, the union, the Players Association, they've been fighting for this for years. Uh, obviously, they want less time at the facility, facilities, especially for veteran players, more so than younger players uh, who don't, and I've talked about this a lot with you over the years, uh, they don't. I, I'm going to be honest. Guys who are entrenched don't get a lot from off-season work. Uh, I mean, there's no pads. They they understand, uh, especially when they're 
you know, you, you could argue a free agent, for example, a veteran free agent like Anthony Harris. Well, maybe he needs some off-season work because he's coming into a new building with a new team and a new defense, and uh, even though he has a history with Jonathan Gavin, you get the point. You might need some work. But for guys like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox who've been here, um, even with the new coaching staff, um, they don't they don't need a lot of work. But you know, again, we go back to unintended consequences. The young players need a ton of work, and if you shut down everything for everybody, um, they're not getting that work. And we talked about. Um, the game and the product and how it's getting worse because practices keep getting scaled back, uh, at least the aesthetic part of it. Um, and, again, I, I don't think the league cares all that much because the popularity does never declines. It seems to only go up. Um, so they don't see it as a problem. Um, and then you have this wrangling back and forth, and both sides use it as a negotiating tactic to get something else. Uh, but, it, you know, J.C. Treader's been talking about this, and that's the Players Association president. He's been talking about this for over a year. Once they got into the pandemic, which obviously wasn't planned, and they had to go virtual, and then the PA said, well, it's the same product, and they're right. Basically nothing changed. Um, from their standpoint, the statistics are actually less injuries although I think both sides man manipulate those numbers to whatever narratives they're trying to sell. And they're even arguing that the officiating, um, there were less penalties, so some, that somehow they were fresher and didn't commit as many penalties. That, that was just, that's the most disingenuous part of all, because that was just a league directive. And one of the few good league directives, they said, you guys went overboard, scale it back. That had nothing to do with pandemic, no pandemic, uh, and if the league says something else this year and says, you know what, we got to call holding more, um, <laughs> the penalties will go up. That has nothing to do with anything, but they tried to use that. Bottom line is they don't. They want a virtual off season, and they don't want guys to have to show up at the facility. And it's it, it, quality of life. I get it. I mean, you know, it's a tough sport. You want to be in Philadelphia if you live in Florida uh, for nothing work or something like that from a veteran standpoint. But, you know, if you're a first-year guy trying to make the roster, that's how you make the roster. There's, again, unintended consequences. Nobody seems to understand them. So what – what will give here, if anything, uh, and just run through again for listeners maybe who who don't know how this off season is going to you know play out as far as virtual versus in person, uh, and and what could change. Well, nothing's been decided yet, other than the NFL said the off season is going to start on time, so April nineteenth. What that looks like, they're still negotiating, and that's the part. How much is going to be virtual? how much is going to be on-field. The NFLPA wants it like it was last year, no on-field work until training camp. Now, training camp was scaled back, so that, in theory, wouldn't. But uh, that means no OTAs. That means no mini-camp. Uh, and coaches, obviously, in the league wants a typical pre-pandemic offseason. They want OTAs and mini-camp um, and all that. 
So that's what they're going back and forth, and the Players Association is going to use COVID-19 as an excuse and say, we're not officially past it. You're jumping the gun. That's sort of their um, tactic, and the league is um, trying to pretend like everything's fine. So there's, you know, there's going to be some middle ground, and ultimately I think maybe um, they lighten up on the veterans and let the younger players, maybe rookies and first-year players, come in. Uh, but it remains to be seen. They're negotiating stuff like that. Talking with John McMullen, our NFL Eagles insider. We do this every night on The Fix at 7.30. Follow John on Twitter at JF McMullen. All right, so we peeled the curtain back here a little bit already with your new mock draft, and everyone loves a good mock draft this time of year, John. And <laughs> <laughs> the number 12 pick uh, you went an interesting direction for anyone that missed the conversation, offensive lineman. And just to you know, reiterate here, are you when you do your mock drafts, is this you predicting how the Eagles are thinking, or is this you doing what's best in your mind if you were the Eagles? No, it's it's me doing what I think the Eagles are going to do. I, I think you know. Uh, my, all mock drafts are meaningless, but I think people who do mock drafts about what they think are even more meaningless. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, who cares? Right. I mean, you know, when I get to run the Eagles, that would be relevant, uh, but I don't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my uh, every mock draft I do is with um, the assumption of what the team would do. Uh, and what I think the team is going to do, and that's why I landed on Barrett Tucker. But I, I think there's, you know, basically about five, six players in the mix. And I talked about it a little bit yesterday, and, and the history of this team is offensive, de- defensive line in the top half of the draft. We know quarterback is out, so it would be those three positions, quarterback, offensive line, defensive line. Um and that's why I landed on who will be, I think, the best player left uh, at number 12, uh, even though it's not the best player amongst those positions, I should say. Um, and I, you can, the curveball to me, as I also mentioned, would be cornerback because that's a position they also value. And maybe they could find value uh, at number 12 overall, and that's where the J.C. Horns and, and Patrick Sertains and uh, Caleb Farley's might come in. But I, I think you can you can narrow it down. And as I said, I think fans are not going to like it uh, because all they want is a playmaker. All they want is a receiver. And believe me, I got the hate now to prove it. <laughs> All right, so John McMullen's mock draft here, round one, pick 12, Vera Tucker from USC. So let's say that's what the Eagles do. Uh, will, he, will he potentially see the field right away, and if so, in what capacity? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's too good a player, um, and, and there's a lot of ways you can go about it. I, I You know, one of the issues, and that's one of the um, – uh, things that people look at and say, well, they don't have a need 
at, at the offensive line, especially compared uh, to other positions, which is true, but you also have uh, a tremendous amount of age uh, and a tremendous uh, amount of injury history uh, with certain players that are over 30. And again, remember, it's, this is not just about 2021. This, I mean, you have all the evidence you need. It, the Jeffrey Lurie saying transition phase. Um, the team falling back from 6 to 12 to get an extra first-round pick in, in 2022 when they will likely have three first-round picks. So this is sort of the year where you recalibrate and build up, and then you really make a move next year when you have cap space and you have all those first-round picks, um, and then you sort of make a run towards uh, back towards the top of the division. In theory, that's what the Eagles are trying to do. So when you say, oh, they can't take Vera Tucker, well, where's Brandon Brooks going to be a year from now? We have no idea. Lane Johnson is going to be healthy. Jason Kelsey, is he going to be retired? You know, the only guys you know are going to be here is Isaac Sayamalo from a veteran standpoint. And, and then let's be honest. I mean, people <laughs> – there's – there was a lot of positives that came from players like Jordan Mailata uh, and Nate Herbig and Jack Driscoll, but this guy's on a different level. This guy's on a completely, completely different level than players like that. So with the 37th overall pick, you uh, are predicting here with this new mock draft that you put out, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, wide receiver, so, same question uh, for him, John. How much, hypothetically, uh, of the field would he see? I, I would imagine at least a, a good bit, given the wide receiver group currently. Yeah, I mean, if he can play at all, yeah, he'd see a ton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, you know, this, this team needs uh, a receiver by no means am I saying, you know, when I joke about that's all fans want for good reason. I mean, because nobody performs, and it's been – astonishing i talk about it all the time two consecutive years we've gone two years where a receiver has not had 600 yards or uh, or more for the philadelphia eagles in this era of football where you have you know some teams with four guys who might do that literally four um i i mean it's been awful but i i also think part of it is that and I, I always talk about player development, and it doesn't stop after you hand the card in. So at some point, the Eagles have to get Jalen Rager back on track and back in the right direction, and even J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. And even lesser picks, whether it's Quez Watkins or John Hightower, you're putting these assets in the position. You can't just go wide receiver, wide receiver. You can't become the Detroit Lions. But that said, they do need somebody, and if you don't have confidence in what's on the roster, um, and it's pretty evident the Eagles don't, they have to go uh, get a receiver. I'd prefer Rashad Bateman, somebody like that, an outside receiver, but uh, ultimately I think he might be playing, you know, I shouldn't say playing, but um, underwear, limping himself into being a late first-round pick. Uh 
So I, I think Moore's a guy who will be there as a, a, a really productive player. Undersized, so most people look at him as a slot receiver, but he can play outside as well. And, you know, that's what the Eagles are. I, I think people assume that guys can't move around as well. Uh, I mean, he would he would come in here and move around, not play 80% of the snaps outside the numbers, but look, if he's effective, he's the type of guy who can be out there with Rager and, and Fulgham. The key to me, and, and you hate to pick on people, but Greg Ward cannot be on the field. <laughs> Can't say it any other way. But he's going to be on the field, right? Can't be. <sighs> yeah. I, I mean, if he is, it's a disaster for the Eagles. Uh, if he is, it's a last resort, and they failed again. Can't be. Can't be out there. I mean, who and, – and I agree with you, but who else is going to be in the slot? Well, more would be that. I mean, Rager can move into the slot. Uh, you know, if you ask me today and you add nobody – um, I need I need Fulgham to play outside. I need somebody else, whether it's Quez Watkins. I, I you know, to me looked a little bit better uh, than John Hightower. I need somebody like that to step up uh, in play, and then I would I would have Jalen Rager inside. I I he cannot be on the field. I don't know how else to say it. It's just not good enough. It is just not good enough from an athleticism standpoint. So um, they have to do something, whether it comes from inside development or outside. Ultimately, I think they'll take a receiver in the first three rounds. Uh, And if that receiver needs to be a slot receiver, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, You know, for some reason, that's become a dirty word. That's why Justin Jefferson fell to 22. Well, guess what? He didn't play in the slot. He played outside of 80% of the time, and he won, had one of the best rookie seasons in NFL history. Right now, the wide receivers that are on the roster for the Eagles, who has the most potential? Because we saw that outburst from Travis Fogum a little bit uh, this past season. Arthega Whiteside, we're still clinging on to some hope. Quez Watkins looked good at times. We still are completely unsure about Jalen Rager. So, yes, the wide receiving uh, group here right now is terrible. Uh, but there's also some question marks where we really don't have the answer going into this season. No, yeah, I mean, Rager has talent. There's no question about that. You don't get picked in the first round in this league because you're not talented. So, I mean, he's he's above everyone else. And then uh, J.J.'s another guy. I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. I do want to give one last chance for the new coaching staff, and maybe it doesn't amount to anything. But, I, you know, people like to play revisionist history, and there's this uh, goofy – um, narrative that the Eagles reached for J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. They didn't. That's where he was supposed to go. So if the Eagles didn't take him, somebody else would have t- taken him, whether it was three picks later, four picks later. He would have been taken in that range. So the league as a whole looked at him as as a pretty good prospect. And obviously it hasn't worked out that way. Um 
and, and I do think part of it was um, getting in the doghouse of the old coaching staff. So who knows? Maybe the, the new coaching staff will um, give them a, a, a fresh slate, uh, a, a new start, and maybe does something with it. Because clearly from just a trait standpoint, uh, they are what they are. The, the pedigree is what it is. Rager's a first-round pick. If anything, they reached for him. He probably should have been um, a high uh, uh, second-round pick. Uh, and and, and Arcega Whiteside, Arcega Whiteside should have been where he was taken, you know, second round, later in the second round. But those are both talented guys uh, who haven't produced and the Eagles got to figure out a way to get at least one of them producing. Round three, uh, I'm going to throw them both out there. 70th overall, uh, John's mock draft, you have linebacker Nick Bolton from Missouri, and then round three, pick 84, edge rusher Patrick Jones out of uh, Pitt. So run through quickly there uh, those two picks you have uh, in your mock, John. Well, the Eagles need a three-down linebacker, so they got to find one somewhere. And I, I look at Jonathan Gannon's history, whether it's Indianapolis and you know, Darius Leonard was sort of a linchpin um, to that defense. Um, and then I look at Minnesota, and they have Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks. They have two uh, of the better three-down linebackers. So I, I do think there's a sea change with this coaching staff as far as valuing that position they'll they'll value it a little bit more uh than the previous coaching staff um and you know Bolt's an interesting prospect because he's all over the board i i've seen people claim he's going to be at the end of the first round all the way deep into the third round so it, that's sort of a, a flavor guy as i like to uh say it if teams like him um you know, he might go a lot higher than expected, and if if it goes a negative direction, all of a sudden he becomes a value pick. So uh, that's more of an assessment of this team's going to take a linebacker at some point because Alex Singleton and T.J. Edwards are, are just not good enough, um, and, and they need improvement. And unless they can get Davion Taylor up to speed, um, it's going to have to come from the draft. Seven more picks here in the mock draft. We're uh, running out of time, so I just want to ask you, John, out of the picks that we haven't discussed in your mock draft, talk about maybe the most intriguing or out of those seven, which one of those picks could potentially be a steal? Well, I don't know if it's a steal because I don't know if a punter could ever be a steal, but... <laughs> Remember, the Eagles lost Cameron Johnston. Um, really couldn't afford him more than uh, uh, losing him because he was a restricted free agent. They didn't tender him. They would have liked to have had him back at a lesser price, but he got uh, a good deal from Houston. Um, so he's down there. Uh, and they need a punter. And they brought in uh, a kid named Aaron Cipas as a futures contract, but He's never punted in this league, and, and the kid from Ohio State, Chrisman, is um, one of the best punters in the nation, ironically, from the same school that, that Cam came from. Uh, and the Eagles have extra picks. So if this 
is the year, and I had him taking him in the seventh round, you know, you, you would prefer to sort of get punters and kickers in undrafted free agency if possible, but then you got to deal with everybody else and fight for them. And you have those extra picks, and it, it's unlikely a seventh-round positional player is going to do much. So a seventh-round punter, in a lot of ways, gives you far more value. If there's a guy who's probably going to make your team and be your punter for at least the next four years, I think there's significant value there. Hey, and maybe he can catch the ball, too. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, more than Johnny Hecker can throw it. (laughs) Throw a little fake punt in there. There you go. John McMullen, follow him on Twitter, at JF McMullen. Check out all of his written work, a ton of new articles out on phillyvoice.com as well as si.com. Be on the lookout for extending the play every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on 1490 and Birds 365 coming this Monday on phillyvoice.com, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. John, I appreciate it. We'll do it one more time here tomorrow. All right, thanks, Ryan. Yep, thank you. There he is, Johnny Mack. Good stuff, as always, talking mocks. It's mock season, baby. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.